fellow Americans. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is free. Every man, woman, and child had a right to a future of freedom. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Tagline Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Perini, joined today by my co-host, Christian McMullen. Christian, how are you? Good. Didn't quite get a Tiger victory at the Masters this weekend, but uh, can't complain nonetheless with the made cut. I can tell you I saw zero seconds of the entire Masters. Yeah, it was kind of a snooze at the end. One guy ran away with it. So. It, could, it could have been awesome, but I still wouldn't have seen it. Just, yeah. I'm not there with you on it. It's fair. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is a podcast about pop culture, politics, possibility, what's going on in the world, and our takes on it. So we will go ahead and we will get right into the swing of things today. So there's a new Fox News story out about how California and New York handled COVID lockdowns the worst, and Florida was among the best. Um, I mean, that's not really surprising. Uh, one of my biggest concerns with lockdowns is not only the businesses lost and the jobs lost, but the mental health crisis that has come from these lockdowns. There's studies showing kids are the saddest they've ever been, that suicidal ideations are up amongst kids, um, masks and lockdowns and distance learning. I really worry we are raising an entire generation of students who will be facing a larger mental health crisis than this country's ever seen. This story shows that those lockdowns not only statistically didn't really do much to move the needle on COVID, but states that were at the time being lambasted like Florida, everybody remembers the Grim Reaper on the beach. Um, they did the best. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not surprising. I mean, California, you mentioned the Grim Reaper on the beach in Florida, but California, there's the famous videos of them filling the skate park and blocking people from outdoor access. I mean, these states were not only the heart, had the most stringent requirements on businesses and schools, like you mentioned, but also on normal everyday activities that, like, provide people an escape and, and you know, would have been productive coping mechanisms had we known, you know, sooner that it was safe to go outside and, 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 you know, be, be to go to people. the gym. Yeah. To so do like, normal activities. Yeah. To go to a concert, to go to a bar, to go to the library, to do any number of things that it was that there is like a, a level of risk because there is uh COVID, but that you can, you like now that Fauci is kind of saying this too, you have to kind of weigh this, but this is kind of what Republicans have been saying the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone was the, the it's, it's interesting with Fauci coming out this weekend and saying, you know, sort of leaving it at take your own risks, make your own decisions on that front. Like it is, it's, it's long past due from, you know, the administration, but I, I think that, I think that's why, you know, politically it seems to be benefiting you know, Republican candidates, you know, the sort of anti-lockdown, you know, groundswell on the school level at all, like across the board seems to be helping. Yeah. Um, there's a Wall Street Journal story that's kind of in that same vein, right? About how the school reopenings and the lockdowns and the things that are going on around with students, how that has pushed a lot of parents to look at Republicans, to look at Democrats. They have the story about this one mother in here who was so disillusioned. She said, you can't take my vote for granted anymore. I'm not just a lockstep Democrat anymore because I saw what these lockdowns did to kids. We are two years into this, right? I think about where I was two years ago today. 
at my apartment. Uh, and we were in lockdown. I didn't, I was just working from home. Two years is a long time for that. And the fits and starts and, and the overly aggressive oppression by the government, especially a lot of these state and local governments, we are just starting to see the ripple effect. It's going to play a role in the midterms, but it's going to play a role for generations to come. Yeah. And it's not just COVID. I mean, I think this also points to your your high regulation states in general being less. New York high tax. Yep. Did you California. see the Isaiah McKenzie tweet joke? I did. I did. Noted noted Bill's wide receiver just signed a, a lucrative enough new contract and then uh, complained very quickly on Twitter about taxes in New York. He also joked there's a bet that went on between like him and Stefan Diggs for the tune of like $200,000. He's like, well, with the way the New York taxes, it's already gone. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you see these states, you know, it, it's not surprising given the, the regulatory culture and the issues that have it that, you know, these states would be harder to, in any set situation, harder to, uh, you know, build, build back and, and kind of recover from, you know, a catastrophic uh, instance. Yeah. Uh, long run, we are starting to see that I think the early ripples, like I said, on COVID, but the fact that frustrated parents, not only are they frustrated about lockdowns and about mandates and about their kids and why they're now considering voting Republican, but they're mad about what their kids are being taught as well. That's why you have the complete BS narrative about the don't say gay bill. If you look at that legislation and you took out the parts that say don't say gay, not only would you still be able to say gay because you are allowed to in the bill, but the bill wouldn't change at all because it doesn't say don't say gay. Yep. When you see that what is happening and how far the left has gone to put regulations in, they used COVID as a reason to, to exert as much authority as possible. Parents specifically right now are pushing back like never before. It's why we've got Glenn Youngkin in Virginia for sure because of schools. And it's it's going to play a big role in the midterm elections. But it's funny that we've uh, mentioned midterms now because uh, what's rule number one in politics, Christian, for campaigns? Get infinitely more signatures than you could ever need. Even more basic than that. Get on the ballot. Rule number one. Get on the ballot. What do you need to do to have a campaign? You need to get on the ballot. That is, you, if whatever, every state has their own laws, right? There is no federalization of elections. They are state run. So every state has different laws, different thresholds for how you get signatures, when you get signatures, how many you need, if you need them from a specific county. And in this instance, Christian, what happened? So Abby Fink and I were running for Senate in Iowa, one of the, I guess, front runners for the nomination, Democratic nomination, running against Chuck Grassley. Uh, seemingly blocked from being on the ballot by a judge's decision because she did not have enough signatures. She uh, brought, said she had, or she had presented, you know, I think close to 5,000. She needed 3,500 and, you know. And there were three signatures, three, yep. three signatures that right now will keep her off the ballot. In Iowa, there is a House member, Marionette Miller-Meeks. She won by six votes. You... When you're in a margin that tight, I mean, that's incredible. But when you're talking about signatures, there's no reason you should be looking at a three, a three signature margin. Yep. You got to like, you got to check your stuff. You got to make sure you're doing it correctly, that your volunteers know how to correctly get signatures. And that's rule number one. Yeah. Get on the ballot. For a statewide campaign, that's especially problematic because, you know, you have, you have a lot of, lot of bites at the apple. I've, you know. 
I think any any one of us in this industry is at, at one point had to circulate pitch sessions or not, and it's you know a difficult and not the most fun thing, and especially if you're doing one of these you know smaller community smaller races. Like I, I've had to I've had to collect signatures for someone to be just a GOP committeeman, which means you know only need ten signatures in a small town, but that's sometimes harder than you think it uh, is to get knocking on people's doors and asking them to sign up for someone they've never heard of and will never pay attention to. So you know it's 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 especially bad when you have you know someone who is viewed as the Democrats front runner and you know in a in a statewide campaign 5000 you know signatures is is really not that but that's the fun part i think of american politics a little bit is that since we are not a federalized election you have these great super local things that are like going to happen right like six votes to win yep. and three signatures to keep you off a statewide ballot or up in new hampshire when they vote they vote in dixville notch first right yep. and there's like just a handful of people who live there and vote, but they are the first of the first in the nation to vote. And it's just, that's what you get when you allow these states to not only run their own elections, but keep it out of the hands of the federal government is because like, yeah, yeah, it's so it politics is such a big global national international thing, right? It affects everybody. But even when you're working at the top level of politics, if it's working on a presidential or it's working on a congressional race, you're working on the Hill, you're kind of, up there, it is still always local. Three signatures, six votes, like Dixville Notch voting first. You got to make sure you are still talking to the people back home because those are the three signatures and the six votes. And yep. the coolness of like, you need to play local and you need to pay attention because it's it's just the best part of politics. Yeah, and it can be a it can be a national problem. I mean, this will be if if she stays off the ballot. I I mean, I think this is probably one of the bigger stories of the, you know, Democrats in the early part of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was a prominent, you know, front runner. Yeah. She's candidate. got good, she's got good name recognition now. Now I think that Chuck Grassley's not going anywhere, but no. like she's got solid name rec in the state. Yep. And from a, you know, fundraising <laughs> perspective, that's, that's what the state. So not only are parents pushing toward Republicans now, but Democrats are actively helping more people vote Republican by keeping themselves off the ballot. Yeah. They're really, really, really sloppy work. It's going to be a midterm for the records. What yeah. is next? So, uh, Elon Musk decided, uh, thanks, but no thanks on the Twitter board. Uh, really, really interesting kind of shakeout. Um, he was pretty active on Twitter this weekend after making the news very still wants to be very involved in Twitter um, and the the decisions that are made next. But it seems as if he is leaving the door open to have more influence and possibly buy more of the company by not being on the board because board members would have to sign um, an agreement not to acquire more than their uh original amount. So this is, uh, this is one of those sagas that looks like we're going to get more content out of it. Yeah. I, th I don't think we're near the end of this, right? It's clear that Elon is invested in Twitter. He's invested in not only monetarily, but free speech in and of itself. This is, you know, being a wealthy individual and using that money to be an activist by buying part of a company. I mean, that's an insane level to be at. Uh, but when we're looking at this, I think in the long run, Musk sticks it out and doesn't get on the board, but buyers buys like enough portion of the company that the board isn't going to matter as much. I don't think yep. he's going to buy like a huge amount, but he, what he's got, he's nine, got 10%, yeah, like 9.8%, something now. like that right now. I mean, 
if you've got the money and you want to spend it on Twitter, that seems like a futile exercise to me, but it's one I can appreciate on the free speech front. Yeah. And he really, he raised some, some points this week about the most followed accounts, not tweeting very often and some concerns about whether or not it's too much of Twitter is bot accounts and how many active users there are. And like, it is, it is going to be very interesting to see someone who is that, you know, plugged in kind of, and, and frankly, it's, it's straight from his thoughts right to Twitter when he uh, when he shares his opinion on this stuff. So it is it's fascinating to kind of get a, a glimpse into into that, and especially someone with the, the background and experience that he has outside of the political and free speech implications of it. Yeah. Well, up next, <laughs> this one is is kind of random, but the postal service is not delivering to a neighborhood in California anymore after the postal service employees continue to get attacked while trying to deliver the mail by an individual. The police know what's going on, but apparently like the old, like going postal here is like by the local and yeah. not by the postal employee. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those, this is one of those things that you just, you like as the person who probably lives next door being the most like livid and right. I mean, I can't tell you how infrequently I'd probably check the mail if I had to go to the actual post office to get yeah. it. Uh, I, I have a, I live by a very strict rule. That's like, you don't step in the way of USPS or any delivery service. Like I am fully on board with having stuff delivered to me. And what? I, I'm just confused. Like you have an unspoken rule in your life about not getting in the way of postal well, just like, yeah, just, you know, like not being frustrated, like whenever, like those, I will never like, cause sometimes in the city you get your, your cars blocked by delivery trucks and those type of things. And like, you know, you get the people who are honking on the horn and really frustrated. I am, I will always, always yield you to always delivery are. folks. It I, just seemed like I a have very all strong the rule. Like your parents, like were growing up where like Christian, you don't, you don't even make eye contact with the post employees. I down. Keep it moving. Yeah. You are lucky. They let are them, near. let them hit their <laughs> numbers. <laughs> I just, I, wow. What a way to grow up in Buffalo. Just fear of God put into you about yeah. postal employees. No, I, I just, you know, I just, I feel, I feel very strongly that they don't like. They do great work. Yep. Very important. I just, that was just never drilled into me the way apparently it was for you. I, yeah. I, or it was just, I, I don't know where it came from, but yeah. I guess it was just the, the importance of getting things delivered on time. <laughs> no, I, listen, I want my mail to show up on time. I would, I would appreciate it, but I just, you know, I really feel like I'm learning a lot about you on this podcast, Christian. I'd always shovel for the snowman, the like when the, for the post oh, office people. Oh, yeah, you totally got to shovel for the for the post employee. I'll make sure, you know, make sure there's salt, like no See, slipping. My Very important. My house I have now has a post box outside the door, like like at the, at the curb. Yep. But my mom's house has it on, like in the door, like you put it into the door into the house. Yep. So she has to shovel it out. Yep. But if you're not. We don't have to really shovel anything out for the postal, for the postal. Yeah, it's on the street. Yeah, no, we had the same thing right, right at the door. So yeah, Western New York, gotta make the snow people work or the post people work extra hard. In the yeah, snow. half the audience is like, what? <laughs> um, but yeah. All right, next, it's a good one. Yeah, I'm so really excited. my baseball season kicked off last week. Uh, I know that from the traffic that was in Navy Yard this weekend. Uh, people returning to the ballparks across the nation. Uh, but one interesting story, the, uh, I believe it's the Yankees minor league affiliate in Florida has hired the first woman to manage a minor league affiliate of a team. Uh, Rachel Balkovec is, I believe her name. And, uh, just really interesting story to kind of see, you know, trailblazing individuals in, in sports like this. And, um, 
you know, what this kind of means moving forward in a, in a sport where there's, you know, potentially a lot more crossover. Um, yeah, she worked so hard. It's really ESPN has this great story about her that kind of goes into how she got in, how she got to her managing job and how many years she had to spend as like a strength and conditioning coach and, and all of the work she did. And in it, there are like two things that really stuck out to me in the story about her. Not only because she's like, listen, I don't want to be some eight year olds, like the, their goal. I want to be like, I want to be who inspires a 22 year old. Like that's where I am in my life. So I want somebody who she's 34. She says that in the story, but like, she's like, I want somebody who's like stepping into their career more. But in this, she's like, I, I am the person who should be here. I earned this job. This is where I should be. And then at the very end of the story, she says that I, uh, I feel like I have imposter syndrome every day. And as a woman who works in politics, that is something I am so keenly aware of to feel like, no, I should be here. I am part of this. I am part of this conversation. I earned my spot here. And also being like, fake it till you make it. I don't know if I should be here. I don't know how I got into this room. Where are the adults? Yeah, and it, uh, she's got such a cool background with like going. It, she, it read the article. She went to school, studied biomechanics. I mean, yeah, she's a tra- like strength and conditioning coach with successful strength and conditioning coach. And with everybody these teams. has the best things to say about her. They're like, she shows up. She motivates people. She gets everybody bought in. Like it can be, you know, she's walking into these dugouts, and these guys really respect her because she is the best at what she does. And it is just. It's a great story. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and it's locker room culture is something that I think like younger in my sports career where I kind of thought it was overrated when you see these teams of like superstars and you want the best players and all those types of things. But as you kind of look at the more successful, the sustained success from a lot of these sports teams that don't have blow-ups, that don't have prominent people demanding a trade in the middle of the season, like I'm starting to definitely buy a lot more into the culture argument being you know, such a, such a major part of, of what makes sustained success in sports. So, um, cool to kind of see how, how, how people, you know, gravitate to, to her and, and her leadership and her ability to kind of get people to buy in on, you know, yeah. whatever they're doing and in a, in a sport where that matters, I think probably, you know, just as much as anything, um, you know, those, those games that depend on a lot of mental mental yeah. acuity and I think and she's great. I'm super excited to see how she does this season. I normally am not, I know people who love minor league baseball. I'm not like, a, I'm not that big of a baseball fan that I'm like watching the minors as well, but this is something I keep an eye on. I'm, I love the way she thinks and I love her hustle in this story. If you haven't read it, it's on ESPN and it is fantastic about her and her background and how she got here. Yeah. So it's really great. Christian, what are you looking forward to? What's the story? Uh, What's something? What are you thinking? Yeah, so there was a story in Politico this uh, weekend kind of about Andrew Cuomo and uh, how some of the the people who raised accusations against him are feeling particularly uh, frustrated with his attempted comeback. And he had dinner last week with, it looks like, Eric Adams and sort of, you know, a lot of rumors swirling in New York politics about um, his his potential comeback despite the, you know, major... Um, major issues. Yeah. And one way to put it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Trying to find a better word, but just, I mean, just complete downfall on a number of fronts, right? It it was obviously the the accusations are, are awful, but you know, the leadership problems that he ran into and the COVID problems and the taking money for his book. I mean, he, it, it really all came to, uh, all came to a head at once for him. So the fact that he's trying to crawl back. Yeah. We'll have to see how big of a name Cuomo is in New York. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, 
story I'm watching is obviously Bravo related. Apparently, Garcelle, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, has unfollowed the entire cast. And Erica Girardi, who's in a mountain of legal trouble with her husband, Tom, ex-husband, uh, like posted something super shady on Instagram of like throwing out Garcelle's book and was like, I know you unfollowed me on Instagram, but I know you'll see this. Apparently, Kathy Hilton and uh, Kyle Richards aren't talking. They're sisters, if you don't watch the show. And that is Paris Hilton's mom. And they are sisters. Uh, wow. So it's going to be, it sounds like a very good season the on un- Beverly Hills. The unfollow on social media is something that links both like reality TV stars and athletes. Because you see that all the time, too, is players like unfollow their teams on Instagram. It was something that popped up last week. It, it's it's really, you can do, I guess you can do a lot of emotional damage with an unfollow. It is a passive aggressive form of communication. Just to be like, I'm not even going to tell you. You're just going to notice one day that I'm not there. Yeah, that is that is. It's shady. Uh, I, you know. Yeah, I I don't even know if I'd notice in a lot of the instances. I wouldn't, but I only noticed because Erica posted it, and so I was like, "This is gonna." And then you hear about Kathy, and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great season. Looking forward to it. Beverly Hills needs a good season again. Well, that's it for today, right? Yeah, nothing else here. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into another episode of the Tagline Podcast, brought to you by Tag Strategies. We will be back again later this week with another episode. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere you enjoy this podcast. We will talk to everybody soon. Thank you. Go get them. Goodbye. Go Bills. Go Bills.